What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. And say happy Thanksgiving, guys. It's our Thanksgiving episode. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Ooh. Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's Such the one. It's the turkey. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> gobble, gobble, bitches. We're here for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and what we like to do on this podcast is, is to take things that are okay or, you know, not the best, and make them better. Are you saying Thanksgiving is not good? Because I totally love Thanksgiving, even without all the improvements we're going to come up with. Thanksgiving that is, is true. I guess my favorite holiday. Yeah, that's a misnomer. I didn't mean to imply that it's that I don't like this. I do love Thanksgiving. But there's always room for improvement. You can always improve. So our question today is, how would you improve Thanksgiving? And that's it. So Chris, I'm going to let you start up. Where did you go with this? So in order to improve Thanksgiving, I wanted to come up with some rules that we can follow. Just if everyone follows these rules, then Thanksgiving will be better in general. I came up with three rules. So um, <laughs> I love it's a way to improve things. I think everything needs more rules. Everyone <laughs> just follows the rules. We're gonna have a good time. Yeah, it's like laws. Like everyone agrees upon them, <laughs> and then no one dies because we all agree that murder is bad. Yeah, except like the <laughs> I like heard that as if you were like a babysitter or something. Just like, <laughs> yeah, if we follow the rules, no one dies. <laughs> Welcome to my sleepover party. If everyone follows the fucking rules, we're going to have a good time. And if not, we're going to fall off schedule and it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Well, we'll see if you agree with my rules or not. And we can implement them maybe. So for the first rule. So uh, most people consider like turkey the staple food of Thanksgiving. I kind of disagree with that. I think the staple food is pie because pies like pies are just awesome. They're actually have a deep history in the traditions of Thanksgiving and the pilgrims. So like pilgrims brought their pie recipes to America with them and had like English style meat pies. They had fruit and berry pies. They actually favored pies because they required less flour than bread and they didn't have to have like a brick bread oven. And they were, they were able to like include filler ingredients in their pies to stretch out their rations. If they had like limited supplies, they could stretch it out a little longer. Also, like, turkey just isn't that good. <laughs> like, oh, turkey is still good. I like turkey. <laughs> where, do you, where do you guys fall? I mean, me, I, I am on, on the opinion that Thanksgiving dinner does not actually need to have the turkey. I disagree with that. So smoked turkey is delicious. Roasted turkey, white meat is fine. Dark meat is very, very good. I always prefer white meat. I know I'm in the minority with that, but I like white meat, but more. I, I will say with, with a smoked turkey, white meat is fucking fantastic. It's just that smoking turkey is annoying. I like the white meat, but in my experience, if you have, like, the turkey, like, the nice roast turkey, which is still good. Like, it's still a good dinner, especially because it's covered in gravy. But all, then you have, like, the ham next to it. Like, you have a nice roast ham next to it. I'm going back to that ham every time. No. I always prefer turkey over ham. Oh, no, I'm a ham guy over turkey, turkey guy, definitely. Nope. Yeah. That's okay. Two out of three people can be correct on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but back to pies, because pies are... I, I would agree pies are better than, than turkey. Yeah, I don't think anyone's arguing that no. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then apple pies are actually, they became popular because apples were easy to 
to dry and store it over the winter. So that's kind of why they became like an American staple and they became very popular. It's because they're easy to preserve. And it's believed that in the first Thanksgiving feast, they included like fowl and venison in their meal and that those could have been in pie form. They don't actually know for sure, but there's a belief that pie was included in the first Thanksgiving feast. So it has roots in Thanksgiving. It's very traditional. Everyone loves pie. So that's my first rule. Every dish has to be a pie. And pies are very versatile. So you can have like turkey pie. You can still include the turkey and you have best of both worlds. Obviously, cranberry pie is a thing. So like you can have that sweet potato pie. And I even found a recipe of stuffing pie, (laughs) which... I don't know why you'd want to have stuffing in a pie, but I mean it's bread and bread. It's yeah, I, eat it. I guess <laughs> I'd eat it. I yeah. love stuffing. <laughs> I guess if it was there, I'd eat it. Maybe with some gravy because I feel like it would Might get little, pretty dry. Dry, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what you gain over just eating stuffing. To be fair, by adding a pie crust, but I try it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would try to visit there. So that's first. That's rule number one. Everything is a pie. Moving on to rule number two. So most people know that. Family arguments and disagreements are a common thing at Thanksgiving. People tend to argue or families tend to argue. And psychologist Leonard Felder, he took a random sample of more than 1,350 people. And he found that 75% of them said that at least one person in their family annoyed them. That's a pretty low bar. Like, <laughs> I think 75% is like, jet is like, you know... I imagine that number would be even higher if I had to guess. If it's yeah, just, it just does your family person, annoy you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how he. I guess he just had a survey question. Do they? Do you have a family member that annoys you? Yes or no? So people might have a different like opinion about what annoy means, but just the mere fact that they do have that and that Thanksgiving forces all family all together into one place kind of forms a situation where you have an argument that you're going to have arguments come up. And psychologist Chris Logan said that whenever you have a person that's very similar to you, you tend to focus on the differences that they have from you just because they're different from you. So he said that, like, since on Thanksgiving, everyone's eating the same food, they're celebrating the same holiday, they're all in the family from a similar background. That's just going to cause a situation where conversations will naturally sway towards differences in opinion, and that will foster growth in arguments. So... Everything about Thanksgiving leads is is leading you towards an argument. So how can we avoid these arguments? Because obviously they're bad if you want to have a good Thanksgiving. So my second rule is that all arguments will be solved with a wishbone. So you have a turkey. With the turkey comes a wishbone. I mean, your turkeys will be in pie form now, but you can still have the wishbone. And just whenever you sense an argument coming up, you take out the wishbone. You Whoever gets the bigger side wins the argument and then you don't talk about it anymore and you just move on and you probably need more than one wishbone because i imagine there will be more than one disagreement but you can get more than one wishbone i i imagine <laughs> can you uh you can i guess you this can is get... a rule for everybody everybody's gonna need extra wishbones i mean everyone come from yeah i guess i guess most people don't get more than one turkey hypothetical uh question what if someone starts arguing that we shouldn't do the wishbone uh resolution anymore and then they win well then they're not following the rules and they're not going to have any fun mm, good answer Continue. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's that's rule number two arguments solved by a wishbone rule number three and this is my final rule so i i want to like kind of dress more i want to like come up with a dress code so you could become more like the pilgrims i want to see what they wore like way back when 
what kind of outfits they had. And I wanted to try to wear those as well. So what did they wear? They are often depicted as wearing like a black and white outfit. And then they have those tall, flat hats with like a buckle on it. That's like kind of the stereotypical image of a pilgrim. And I was like wondering what that buckle on the hat was. Like, what was the purpose for it? I was I didn't really know. So I looked it up. And the actual answer is actually pretty boring and kind of obvious. It's to adjust <laughs> for the head sizes. So you can put hats on different head sizes. <laughs> this is on our podcast. I guess that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we have caps with like those little notches on the back. It's basically the same function. But what's, what I found that was interesting is that pilgrims actually didn't have those hats. Or at least they didn't have the hats with the buckles on it. So that hat is called a capotain. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but... It's, that's just basically the style of the hat with the tall, flat top. So they, they did wear capotains, but they didn't have the buckles on them. The image of the pilgrim wearing the buckle on their hats actually came from what is popularized by artists who got confused by... They, they thought the pilgrims were like later sects of Puritans that did wear buckles. And the buckle is actually a, like a, a symbol of high status and wealth because they're like sort of expensive to make. So it's like a, a class thing. And pilgrims were actually lower class. So they were not wealthy. They couldn't afford the buckles or the hats with the buckles. And they didn't have like buckles on their shoes or anything. Instead, they used laces. So laces are a lot cheaper. So I actually don't know if they had laces on their hats. That'd be a little that looks weird to me, but maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> so out of all this, I want to institute the third rule to look more like pilgrims. And my takeaway was that no buckles are allowed. That includes hats and shoes, but we don't really usually have buckles on our hats and shoes. But the the more relevant thing to us is that belts have buckles on them. So no belts are allowed. I mean, if you were in a belt at Thanksgiving dinner, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that seems like a, that seems like a, a sketchy proposition mm-hmm. from the start. Exactly. You always unbuckle your belt after eating anyway because you ate way too much and you're going to eat even more with all these pies around and you're going to have to unbuckle so i'm just taking away that step it's it, it definitely improves thanksgiving no belts are allowed so yeah those those are my three rules of thanksgiving every dish is a pie disagreements solved with a wishbone and no belts okay <laughs> ben what did you do yeah so i i actually you know had a similar at least you know thought process to the start of yours that that really the culmination of Thanksgiving is the pie. And I also thought that we should probably make the pie a little more front and center in this whole thing. And I was trying to figure out, even outside of Thanksgiving dinner, what are other ways can we increase the uh, the, the pie presence in Thanksgiving? So the first thing I thought of is the first thing you kind of do on Thanksgiving, which is the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I was trying to figure out, I really tried to figure out a way to make a float out of pie or not a float sorry a balloon out of pie and you can't obviously that's not going to work what you might be able to do so it is theoretically possible maybe to make a meringue that floats so when you're making a meringue what you're doing really is like whipping egg whites and then getting air incorporated in them. And that's what makes them, you know, sort of light like the way they are. Conceivably, if you had a, like, sealed kitchen that was full of a gas that was lighter than air. And you whipped it in that and then baked it in an oven full of that gas. Conceivably, 
You could make a lighter than air meringue. Is the meringue airtight? Ben, that is actually would be an amazing product. It would be great. I don't, to answer Chris's question, I don't think a meringue is airtight. <laughs> so I don't think it would float for very long. Impossibly not at all. I could not find anyone who'd actually tried it. <laughs> That's a surprise. Yeah, for, for hopefully obvious reasons, I can't find anyone who's tried this. It would if, also you be... ate, if you ate a meringue filled with helium, would your voice get squeaky? Uh, so it's funny. it's funny you ask that. Because the way I actually found this, it wasn't, that wasn't the question they, they were, or the hypothesis they were proposing. They were saying that if you had some made with helium and some made with xenon, helium makes your, is like, makes it higher pitched, xenon makes it lower pitched. They were saying that because the meringues would be full of that gas, they would actually crunch at higher and lower pitches. And if you use different proportions, you could make an organ that you play by eating meringues. Wait, this was what? an article? It, this was a, a theory. From what's this was called science? Patent, no, it was definitely not science. <laughs> it was on like a forum or something? Where, where uh, it's this it? website called Half Bakery. It's, it's, I love it. It's just like weird ideas, basically. It's weird ideas that are not particularly thought through. <laughs> so there's that. You might be able to make a meringue float that you know, would last for a short amount of time before it comes crashing to the ground. The crunch is slightly higher. The crunch is slightly higher. Yeah. So there's that idea. But obviously that can't be my entire answer because there is no way to go into any sort of depth on this. <laughs> well, yeah, because it floats. Because it get, floats. You, 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 you can, can only go up. Right, exactly. So I decided to go in a different direction. And I think probably more so for me than either of you, another big part of Thanksgiving is football. You know, there's always three football games on Thanksgiving. Generally, at least at, at my family's house, we'll start eating around halftime of the first one and then kind of like, you know, drift back in during the second one and, you know, lie around for a while in a food coma and then eat pie around the end of the second one. So not only is football a big part of my Thanksgiving, it's also pretty linked to the pie, right? And I decided to make a more direct link by making a football stadium sized pie. It's a big pie. It is a very large pie. So the first question is, what stadium should we use? Because our, our goal here is basically just use the stadium itself as our pie dish. Um, we ran into a problem here because because most NFL stadiums, there's kind of two issues. Uh, well, one, some of them are domes. That doesn't work, obviously, because you can't put a pie crust in a dome. It's just going to be on top. That's stupid. It's not a pie. Then most of them aren't really circles. They're kind of just like weird, like flat ovals. Um, and they're also far too tall most of the time. You're not going to have like structural integrity if your, you know, your pie is too tall. It's just going to collapse outwards. Um, so eventually, what I landed on was the Rose Bowl, which is it's actually UCLA's uh, currently UCLA the UCLA Bruin football team stadium. It's in Pasadena, California. It's almost 100 years old. It was opened in 1922. Um, it's not quite a circle. It's like a hundred feet further in diameter like north to south than uh east to west but it's as close as we're gonna get and that's i think you know pretty close enough to a circle for our purposes i mean you're not gonna you're not gonna get a stadium that's a complete circle because football stadiums are not like they're rectangles <laughs> well i mean this this is pretty close like this yeah, is is yeah. you know as close as close as you're gonna get so and yes this is this is a college football stadium nfl football is played on thursday on, on thanksgiving however the Rose Bowl was actually hosted five Super Bowls. 
So I'm calling it a part-time NFL stadium and therefore valid for this question. Good good job finding a loophole in the rules you made up. Oh, yeah. It's, it's what we do here. <laughs> it's almost exclusively what we do here, actually. So how, how close are these dimensions? So a pie dish is somewhere between nine to nine and a half inches in diameter and one quarter to one half inches deep. The Rose Bowl is not quite a perfect circle. It's 880 feet north to south and then 600, 695 feet east to west. So I guess it's like 175 or wait, yeah, 175 feet longer than it is wide. But that's pretty close, once again, all things considered. And that averages out to like 787 feet overall, if we're saying it's, you know, roughly a circle. Weirdly, I couldn't get a good source on the height of the Rose Bowl. If you Google Rose Bowl height, the little like quick info box on Google pops up and says 100 feet, but gives no source. And clicking through links, I could find no source for that. I found links to people questioning why Google said it was 100 feet. (laughs) <laughs> but no one who would actually confirm it was 100 feet. I compared that to like other stadiums that I could find more reliable heights on, and it seemed at least relatively accurate. My best guess is actually it's coming from like Google Earth data. But once again, I couldn't find an actual source. I'm going to say it's 100 feet. It seems close enough. So given that pie dish dimension of like nine and nine and a half by one and a quarter to one and a half, the ratio between the diameter of the pie dish and the depth of it is somewhere from six to one and 7.6 to one and using those dimensions for the rose bowl we're actually at 7.87 to one so it basically is a pie dish just you know much much larger so if we're going to make this pie what's that actually entail so the surface area of a normal pie dish just you know like a nine inch pie dish is 90 9450 square inches that's not right <laughs> what how how did i do this to, wait what did i google wait hold on where did i do jesus all right hold on did i multiply that to oh god damn it all right a a standard just nine inch pie dish the surface area is about 63 square inches the rose bowl the surface area is about seventy thousand or sorry seventy million one hundred twenty eight thousand square inches So that means that our, like, pie crust area is roughly 1.113 million times larger than a standard pie. We're going to call it a million times, just for simplicity, because I don't want to deal with the math. And also, that math is a little little hazy anyway, so let's... It's based on a 100 feet high Rose Bowl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And by hazy, do you mean... (laughs) Do you mean, and by hazy, do you mean the part we just cut out of you frantically redoing that's your not, math? No, that's actually not even the part I mean. What I mean is rel- related to, to Chris's point, which is that I'm kind of ignoring the actual interior interior area because I don't know the exact dimensions of the Rose Bowl. I only know rough ones. So Your surface area is going to increase because you have ridges for every seat. Yeah. Well, I'm also just basically <laughs> pretending that both are, are just circles and using that surface area. I'm not actually using three-dimensional. So... It's hazy all around, but we're pretty close. Pretty close is good enough. The one tricky thing is that a standard pie crust is only about an eighth of an inch thick, like when you bake it. Uh, Clearly, it's going to have to be thicker than that um, for structural integrity. So that eighth of an inch thick, you know, on a, a like inch and a half deep pie crust is roughly 2.5% of the overall depth of the pie. So with that hundred foot depth, we need a, a thickness of about two and a half feet, which is 240 times thicker than a standard pie crust. So that means that our pie crust just recipe is going to have to be 
you know, a million times the area and 240 times thicker. So it's going to be basically 240 million batches of pie crust, which is going to require 600 million cups, which is about 160 million pounds of flour, 240 million cups or 120 million pounds of butter, 5 million cups each of salt and sugar, which is two, two and a third million pounds of sugar, 3 million pounds of salt, and around 6.5 million gallons of ice water. I do not know how you mix this. Yeah, it's going to be tough to cut that butter in. It I is. I went over how, how pies don't require a lot of flour, and then you say we need, like, millions. <laughs> we well, need a yeah, lot of flour. I mean, in, yeah. a, in a regular pie pie crust, you need, like, two and a half cups of flour. Which guys, is guys, guys, stop arguing. Get the fucking wishbone. <laughs> See? My rules work. <laughs> yes, and a regular pie, it actually is not that much flour. You're just replacing a lot of it with butter, which is, you know, sure, healthy. Why not? But, uh, but yeah, I don't know how you mix this. I It's probably not possible. Marcus is right. Cutting the butter in is going to suck. <laughs> just just like an army of people. Right, yeah. I definitely don't know how you bake it. <laughs> Figure that one out. I don't know. It'll be fine. But say we have our pie crust. We need to fill it. I didn't go too in-depth on this because it's going to be a lot of the same math as the, the crust. The proportions are a little bit different because now we are doing a volume. Once again, I don't have an exact volume of the Rose Bowl. I found a number of 20 million cubic feet that someone came to by some witchcraft i don't know <laughs> it's called math then it's what we do here heresy <laughs> um that's about 150 million gallons the approximate volume of a standard pie dish is about a quarter of a gallon so we're going to need whatever we fill it with is going to be about 600 million times as much filling as a regular pie personally i would go with a no bake pie maybe like a coconut cream would be good I feel like coconuts are a good place to start because at least coconuts are, like, a bit bigger. Right, yeah. As opposed to, like, if you're making a cherry pie, that's a lot of fucking cherries. It is, yeah. You could just keep throwing coconuts in there. Yeah. Or, like, you know, several orchard of apples. Who knows? I don't know. It's not going to go well. Watermelon pie. Jesus. Watermelon pie. Is that a thing? Must uh, be. God, I hope I, not. I don't think so. Watermelons are watermelons, is. like, mostly just water. Like, it would be nigh impossible well, have to, to reduce it. To contr- right. Yeah. You'd have to, like, like dehydrate your watermelon, which leaves not a lot. Basically, (laughs) you just need a lot of watermelons. It'd be, like, sugar and, like, it would not be good. They have creamy watermelon pie. It was, like, mixed with cream. I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, no, I don't like any of that. Watermelon also doesn't have much flavor. Like, that's pretty much just a cream pie that, like, tastes a little off. I mean, they have watermelon-flavored things. But that's not actually what watermelons taste like. True. So, anyway... Long story short, if you made a pie in the Rose Bowl, it would be very complicated and large, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise. But then, you know, you could much more directly have pie while watching football, I guess, if they were, I guess, also playing a game in the pie. I don't know. I didn't think that part through. <laughs> yeah, they can't play football anymore. I mean, they could. It would be really awkward and they might drown. Can you, can you swim in coconut cream filling? Oh, totally. Marcus, <laughs> what would you do? So... The, the way I usually start this is finding the part of the holiday I like the least. But like I said before, after I implied the other way, I, I quite like Thanksgiving. Um, it's a holiday without a lot of pretense. Like, take 4th of July or Easter. Like, there's supposed to be about freedom or Jesus and whatnot. But the practical result is that you get together with family and eat a bunch of food. Thanksgiving is about doing literally just that. So I don't really have a problem with Thanksgiving traditions. But there's one particular aspect of Thanksgiving that I think could use some improvement. And that's the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I'm not actually sure how prevalent it is outside the New York, New England area, 
But every year, there's specifically the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City with its trademark giant balloon characters. I don't think I've ever watched it. I don't think I've ever seen the actual parade. I've seen clips of the parade. I've never actually, like, watched the whole parade. Yeah, so we, we put it on, like, it's, it's you know, at our house, we'll, we'll put it on on the TV, but just kind of we feel like we should and no one really watches it. Like, usually it'll be put on in the living room and no one will be in the living room for the next three hours. That's pretty much how it goes for us, too. But just... For, you know, for those who don't know too much about the parade, and just for funsies, because that's what we do here, just a few fun facts about the history of the parade. It's been around for quite a while. Um, actually, the first one was in 1924. But it's actually the, only the second oldest parade, uh, Thanksgiving Day parade, with the first being the Gimbals Parade, which beat it by about four years, starting in 1920. Um, and that is currently known by its much more capitalistic name, the 6ABC Dunkin' Donuts Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> Or 6ABCDDTDP for short. <laughs> it is, however, the largest parade in the world. Full stop. Not just Thanksgiving Parade. Largest parade in the world. Three and a half million people attended in 2016. In person. The viewership on TV was 50 million. So I guess it does spread a bit outside the, the New England area just on base, based on those numbers. Question for, for both of you. I guess mostly for Marcus because I feel like the answer, since Chris has never watched all of it, have you ever gone to the parade? No, even though I lived, growing up, I lived probably, you know, I lived like 40 minutes outside the city, so it would have been very doable for me to go to the parade, but we never actually ended up attending in person. So when I was, when I was younger, we lived in Connecticut, and we did one year go, and it was a year where it was like, I don't remember what year it was, I guess I can actually look up the exact temperature, it was brutally cold, it was like below freezing, I think. Oh, there were, yeah, the lowest temp, I, maybe it was, it was probably the same year, but one year it was 19 degrees that, on the day of the parade. Do you know what year it was? I uh, don't have the year on my notes. But all I remember is that all the, the balloons, well, I don't actually remember anything because I was like, you know, like four or something. But like, I know all the balloons kept like deflating because it was too cold <laughs> and like they couldn't maintain pressure. It was great. Apparently my sister was miserable. I was just very young, so I don't remember anything. Well, there's too much ad block on the site for me to see what the date is, except that it says 1876, which I don't think is accurate because the parade wasn't running then. <laughs> also, probably not the one I went to. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not that one. But anyway, continuing my, my list of fun facts here. Um, during World War II, they actually, this was the one time they actually stopped the balloons because the army needed all the rubber and helium that they had. There's a helium shortage, you know. Yeah, going on right now, but I don't think that's going to impact, well, but it's not going to impact the parade more than the uh, the pandemic going on. So we'll see what it looks like <laughs> this year. They, they did, it is happening in some form or fashion. They haven't given exact details on what's going on with it. This one, this one, I like. I like this fact a lot. So, right before the balloons go on camera, the I guess we'll call them balloonists will bring the balloons to the sunny side of the street so that they'll be in the sun and heat up, and so that the balloons get just that extra bit puffier before they're on camera. The first balloons started actually right, pretty much right away in 1928, which I thought was pretty cool. So, they, they kind of right from the start, they started doing these balloons, and they did them to replace the live animals that were formerly in the parade. So the first bunch of parade, the first bunch of balloons were the carnivorous fish, the tiger, the hummingbird, the sky elephant, and the early bird. Which I was curious to see what they look like, and Wikipedia helpfully linked the pages to fish, tiger, hummingbird, elephant, and just bird, which did not sh <laughs> show me what those balloons look like. Not actually that helpful, yeah. Carnivorous fish. Carnivorous fish, which I imagine is probably a shark or something. Okay. <laughs> but it, it's also 1928, so some dude could have just been like. This one's the fish. It's got sharp teeth because I felt like putting them on. <laughs> also, awesome factor. The original balloons weren't deflated after the parade. In fact, they were set loose and they climbed up to about 2,000 feet 
an altitude, then they deflated, and they ran what they called, Macy's ran a balloon race, where the people who found and brought back the balloons won a prize of 100 bucks. That's amazing. Which is 1500 in today's cash, so it wasn't a, a, a paltry sum. And they did this for the first four years that they had balloons. They would just finish the race and be like, let them go, and whoever brings it back gets money. I guess, you know... 1928 is a tipping, or 1932 would be four years later, is a tipping point of where it was just cheaper to hire somebody to clean the balloons <laughs> than to have the public do it. So, I mean, that's a, bunch of, that's a bunch of fun facts. Really, what's the issue? And this might just be my personal preferences, but how do you guys, aren't parades just kind of boring in general? Like, Yeah, I haven't gone to a parade in a long time. I used to go to, like, Fourth of July parades, but not anymore. They're, they're not exciting. Yeah, like the... The balloons are neat to see. That, that's the that's the cool one. But I'm not staying tuned in for like, you know, and sorry, but for the marching bands, like the street performances, like whatever other thing is a big group of people proceeding slowly to some sort of noise. Like Disney parades are fun. Or like the ones with the lights at night. If you go to a Disney parade at night, they have like the giant lights. Yeah, like they're all, you know, I, I wonder maybe, maybe we're just jaded to, to modern entertainment, everything being like crazy, but like. It just doesn't hold my interest. So what I want to do is I want to take the best part of the parade, the balloons, and just take that concept and turn it up to 11. And 11 is clearly the setting at which balloons are traded in for pinatas. Now, you may be thinking, Marcus, that's a really stupid idea. Pinatas don't float. So which is why we're just going to take the balloons and fill them with as much candy as possible. Wait, are, so, are they, so they're not going to float. <laughs> They are going to float. So we're going to take the, 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 we're gonna take the balloons. They're going to float, but they're also going to be filled with candy. So we're going to find out how much candy we can put in them before they don't float anymore. Okay. So a cubic foot of helium is enough to lift 0. 0.069 pounds. The average Thanksgiving, par- Thanksgiving parade balloon has about 12,000 cubic feet of helium in it. So it can lift a total of 800 pounds. The balloon itself weighs about 400 pounds, which leaves us 400 pounds to fill with candy. A Snickers bar weighs 48 grams, which I found an article from the BBC that was complaining in 2013 that they reduced the size of Snickers bars from 58 grams to 48 grams. And the reasoning was that it was so that people would portion control better and not so that Snickers saves money on producing (laughs) Snickers bars. (laughs) But 48 grams is about 0.1 pounds. And so we could fit 3,779 Snickers bars in each balloon. So... Is that enough candy? Does everyone that visits get candy if we do this? There's, like I said before, there's three and a half million people attending this Thanksgiving Day Parade, and there's only 16 giant balloons in the roster, so only one in 58 people get candy. And I imagine people aren't going to just take one piece. Yeah, so it it gets sketchy there. So I looked up from switching to helium to hydrogen gas, because hydrogen actually weighs even less than helium, and thus provides more lifting power. But the numbers don't really scale up that much. It goes from 1 in 58 to 1 in 53 people, but still not enough. The other option you have is you can keep adding balloons. But even to get to like a 1 in 4 people get one Snickers bar, you'd be going up to 200 additional balloons, which I think is going to be excessive. I think even as cool as this idea is, after 200 times, I might be bored. And so I was was kind of mulling on it for a bit. And after thinking about it, I think it's okay that not everyone gets candy. It's more like a surprise. Like... Is the piñata going to explode on your part of the parade route? Like, you're not, you're not going in with the expectation that everyone gets candy. You're going in with the expectation that, that there's a chance that 
3,000 Snicker bars get dropped in where you are on the parade route. You said they heat up balloons in the sun, so is it going to be all melted Snickers bars? Well, you're going to have shifted priorities. You know, if the priority is not to melt all the chocolate inside, you know, you're going to keep it on the cooler side of the street when possible. But you got to keep it floating. Well, the helium doesn't have to be hot to, to lift up the gas. The helium is just lighter than air. So it's, it's a density thing, not a heat thing. If you heat the gas more, you get more lift. Um, so that's, you know, what you do with hot air balloons. You can, you know, heat up the gas more to get higher and higher. That said, you probably don't want to do that if you plan on having candy inside. But yeah, no, I think it's still, I think it still works and it's still exciting, even if you're not guaranteed candy. Because it's really all about the spectacle anyway, you know. Of, there's three and a half million people there, but there's also 50 million people watching who obviously are not expecting to get a Snickers bar, but are more than happy to see, you know, anyone else get some. So this leads me to the next step. How are you going to break a giant pinata anyway? These things are huge. So they're pretty high up there, which is tricky because shooting projectiles in a crowded parade isn't exactly ideal. You could have them like self-destruct in some way, um, you know, have a, you know, a hatch or have them, you know, literally get torn, tear themselves apart somehow. But I feel like you're taking the fun part out of the pinating, which is actually being able to beat up something and destroy it and get rewarded instead of punished like you would in, in day-to-day life. And then the, the other thing was like, you could bring it down to the ground. You know, you could like have it, you know, float during the main parade and there's like a section where it comes down. But again, it kind of takes out the surprise of where the candy is and having it so that the masses can kind of just like swarm over it like a bunch of ants is like somewhat strange to me. Um, I didn't really like that mental image. So here's my plan to fix all those problems. The balloons are high, but New York City is also tall. So the, the, where, the, where the balloons go down, they go down these avenues where there are buildings on either side so you could set up platforms for people to get up to balloon height then it's just a matter of kind of just like jumping at the balloon and taking your best swing so i imagine this as a full-on like wipe out american ninja warrior style spectacle so you have built up on the sides of the buildings at this you know parade balloon height you have all these different obstacles and platforms rope swings whatever and it's like literally like a, it's like a competition show. So now you have this whole narrative and drama going into this into this parade. Instead of it's not hey look at this pretty balloon. It's check out all this crazy balloons and also watch this dude try to hit it with a stick. And this ties into like so many more opportunities because you can have like sponsored teams from companies like the Coca Cola balloon team is going to be you know a great way for all these companies to you know, get their name out there and, you know, you get to, you know, have different teams to root for and all that. I think it would be cool. How are you going to prevent people from dying? You're not. So um, safety is my next point. Oh. <laughs> um, as far as safety goes, I think the the main way is that you have basically a big net suspended at some height above tree level. You have like circus performers, they have like the, the catch nets for people. And I think it's actually great because it keeps the, you know, competitor safe, but it also now has provided a barrier that completely kind of clears out the street below and what you can do now is you can just have that mass of kids on street level that are not you know climbing up onto the platforms that would be crazy so all the kids are at street level and you'd have the net set up so that they have enough space between them that the snicker bars would fall through so like it opens up and all the snicker comes like the snicker comes raining down onto the street that all the kids get so it's kind of like a double parade where up top is all the the drama and the competition, you know, the adult part of the parade. And at the bottom is like the whole group of just this mass of kids that follows the balloons. 
As far as actual real life safety goes, this is admittedly probably insufficient. <laughs> but in good Thanksgiving parade tradition, safety measures are only implemented after something bad happens. So, like in 1997, the uh, the cat in the hat balloon, you know, bumped into a lamppost, and the falling debris stuck a parade goer, fracturing her skull and leaving her in a coma for a month. Jesus. So they decided that hey, maybe balloons shouldn't be so big, and implemented balloon size regulations. In 2005, the M&M's balloon collided with a streetlight in Times Square. Part of the light fell on two sisters who suffered minor injuries. And as a result, they're like, hey, maybe we should have some rules about putting balloons out when it's too windy. And maybe have people figure out the parade route ahead of time so the M&M balloon doesn't run into shit um, all willy-nilly. So really, as far as safety goes, you don't have to worry about it too much because you're just going to do it. And then next year, they'll tell you if that was bad or not. And that's what I got. Just American Ninja Warrior, an American Ninja Warrior Pinata Party Parade. I f- how difficult is it going to be to pop these balloons? I feel like if it's a giant balloon and you hit it and make a tiny hole, it's not going to pop. It's just going to slowly deflate. So there's kind of two ways to think about. It. So one is that you know it's 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 a battle of attrition where at some point you've got enough holes or torn something critical where then like you know it, it starts slowing down and deflating and then it, eventually the big thing collapses. The second is you could have it also, you could segment the balloons so that when you hit one thing, like getting past one bit would definitely release candy from, you know, this one-tenth segment of the balloon. And then that part would be deflated, but the rest of the balloon is still in shape for the next nine people to go and score points for their, you know, corporate sponsors. I like that solution. It can be like, if it's a character, it can be like separate body parts. You can be like, I took out its its ear. Well, I will say one funny thing that happened to me during my research was I was I was pulling I'd read the safety stuff like early on and then I had to go back to it so I I looked up like Thanksgiving Day parade injuries and all the results were for injuries that the incurred on the balloons and so like the injuries are just like oh yeah Snoopy got his left arm stuck in uh, under a bridge in 2008 and they had to remove that arm and like all the different parts of the balloons like popping or deflating or losing bits as the parade goes on nothing about the actual people who got injured <laughs> we have our priorities straight well i mean i'll admit it's better news i'd rather read a news article about balloon injuries than people injuries if i wasn't looking specifically to get data on people injuries and that's how i would improve thanksgiving by making the macy's day parade the best it's ever been And with that, that brings us to our Would You Rather question. All right, Chris, are you ready for a Would You Rather? I am ready. It's a Thanksgiving-related one. Would you rather prepare and eat a Thanksgiving meal made entirely of candy or smoothies? Wait, so it's made of smoothies or we're smoothie-izing the Thanksgiving dinner? Like we have a normal Thanksgiving dinner, but we're making it in smoothie form. So you are, you are preparing a Thanksgiving dinner, and you can either make it entirely out of candy, or it's going to be entirely smoothies. I guess the question is, is it is it a series of smoothies or a single smoothie? Uh, I think that's dealer's choice. I imagine it as a single smoothie, but I guess you could do it. Uh, both ways work, I guess. Both are entertaining in different ways. I think my my instinct is that, or my gut reaction is that the candy is just too much candy. It's I'm not. I used to have a sweet tooth. I don't anymore. That much sugar is just too much sugar for me now. But Thanksgiving dinner in smoothie form also sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for me, for me, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like the the actual like presentation because it is it is a holiday you are celebrating. So you could probably make a really cool looking candy Thanksgiving dinner. It would be weird, 
like in that it's all candy and people are like what about real food and you're like candy <laughs> but you could make definitely like you know a faux turkey and like faux side dishes that like relate resemble a thanksgiving day spread it's definitely visually more interesting the smoothie is like you're just at a big table and it's just like punk yeah smoothies are like there's no way to make that look visually pleasing especially if like one of the proponents is gravy <laughs> that said preparing the thanksgiving smoothie like the the flavor of course for the smoothies is going to be much closer to thanksgiving and the preparation is going to be much sim- much it'll be easier si- you know more similar because i imagine the way i would prep it, this would be to basically make the thanksgiving dinner and then just blend it yeah the candy i'd have to do a lot of pre- i'd have to prepare a lot for i think it's also going to be much more expensive to well is it hold on is it going to be more expensive to buy that much candy or buy a thanksgiving dinner candy is very cheap especially because it's like right after halloween I, oh, that's a very good point. Candy is cheaper, but it's going to be way more, like, just, regardless of what candy you pick, imagine making, like, a, a, a turkey. Like, it's just, it's just a lot of volume to cover. What would you make the turkey out of? I think you just, like, push a bunch of fun-sized Snickers together. It would be Snickers? We've been going to Snickers a lot this episode. Yeah. I did, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I just use Snickers as a placeholder for candy, because I figured it's, like, the candy. Like, if you get a mixed bag, it's always got Snickers in it, and they're just universally appealing. Which is what you want. You don't want it to rain Starburst because Starburst. I like Starburst better than Snickers, but not everyone likes Starburst. I can I can accept that some people are wrong about them. <laughs> so you don't want that to be the thing. And it could be a mixed bag of candy, but I didn't want to look up a whole bunch of candy weights and and they'd all be pretty similar. I mean, you definitely have to have candy corn in there somewhere. Not for the turkey, but for like the corn part of it. Could you do like creamed candy corn? That sounds disgusting. Why did I bring that up? <laughs> no, no, no. You just make you just make you just make corn on the cob candy corn. If you take all the the, the, the candy corns part? and put them in a and put them in a circle, like with the yellow parts outwards, and stack them, you can make a pillar that looks like corn. So you're not going to have an actual cob? You're not going to, like, glue them to uh, a stick? You don't make, you don't make <laughs> you like, could. a marshmallow column and jam the candy corn into it? That's a, that's actually probably a better way to do it, <laughs> so that it has some amount of uh, structure. Okay, so you have, you have candy corn on the cob. You have the Snickers turkey. A, a terrifying chocolate turkey. <laughs> the turducken brought to you by Hershey's. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it's pretty, it might, it's possible to make a pie out of candy, right? Yeah. You can definitely make a pie-shaped thing out of candy. Like, you can do, um, it could be filled with Starburst, and you'd have a fruit roll-up, oh, I... or fruit by the foot weave on top. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get, you definitely gotta have a balance between chocolate and fruity candies. And I think it's, I think it's gotta lean way into, into chocolate, yeah, chocolate because... chocolate is way easier to eat in large amounts. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we can do the candy. So let's let's talk about the smoothies for a minute. I'm trying to imagine the texture of a Thanksgiving smoothie, like an all Thanksgiving smoothie, or like like I'm starting with like like just like stuffing gravy turkey, like the the gravy one, the brown one is is the one I'm thinking of. I mean, I don't think it would be that bad. You would need a good blender because you need to get it pretty smooth. Li- yeah, I'm not sure how easy it is to liquefy turkey I in mean, particular. Gravy, you'd have to have gravy to make for the liquid base, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like that's a liquid base. The thing is, can you get turkey into a form where it's not the texture isn't off-putting? And I think the answer might be no. I think you could. Was there ever a does it blend video for turkey? <laughs> Let's find out. Yep. I mean, I'm Hold sure on. people have blended turkey before. What blend Thanksgiving dinner? Like this, this does seem like an internet thing to do yeah oh he just straight up did this oh god it is a liquid there was a bone in that 
Yeah, he put a like just a bow in turkey. Like, oh god, that's just that's just like literally the consistency of a milkshake. I hate this. I mean, you also have like the turkey juices to for, as like part of the liquid too, so that's gonna help with the texture. It just looks like a chocolate milkshake, and that's very upsetting to me. There's like this cloud of steam coming off it when it's done, and I don't know what that. Is. Oh no! Oh, it's whipped cream on top. Are you kidding? <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. You wouldn't do that if you're actually doing this. <laughs> so this appears it was it was cram what was, what was it cranberry sauce, apple pumpkin pie, and a turkey, and a turkey leg. leg, and a little a little salt and pepper. I'll say this: I was thinking that the smoothie would be good and fine, and I think I, I kind of intended to end up on smoothie. But after seeing it, I don't think I could. I couldn't drink that. Uh, yeah, I uh, God, <laughs> <laughs> it's. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's when you blend thicker things and you just have that little bit of wobble, like the one wobble at the end where it's just like, Ugh. yeah, it's, no, no, I'm off. I, I'm viscerally unhappy with this smoothie. I don't, I still think I would do it. I don't think I'd Did have you watch the video? Problem. Yeah, I'm watching it now. The whipped cream is weird, but I think I could do everything else. Like also, I, you don't have to put like the bone in there. Like, yeah, it's weird that you put, put the that bone out there. In there. Yeah. The bone might actually be good in there. The bone is tasty. It's what gravy is made out of. Wait, hold on. Gravy is not made out of bones. Yeah. Um, I think it is. It's not. No, it's made it's from made like the juices. It's like drippings and flour. You just take the juices and then put flour in it and it thickens. You can like make a stock by boiling the bones. Like bone broth is a thing. Oh, is that, that's not what I'm thinking of is, is making the, the stock from... No. Um. So wait, are, are we saying it is definitely a mixed Thanksgiving dinner smoothie or is it individual smoothies for different dishes? I think the mixed situation is better. Like, that would make it more appealing to me. Would it? Yeah. Rather than having, like, just a turkey smoothie and then just a potato smoothie. Well, but, like, and... but like, like, what if what if you could have, like, one that was, like, turkey stuffing and gravy and one that was, like, pie and I don't know how uh, you yeah, I guess, liquid in it. Yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's what I was imagining. Not, you'd have, like, you'd everything, have, like, not like dessert a turkey, and everything. Yeah, like, a turkey one that was turkey stuffing and gravy and then, like, a sides one that was, like, sweet potato and Like a vegetable one. I don't know. Yeah, and corn. And then, like, a dessert one. I yeah. think we can okay, do that's, that. Okay, that's the best way to do it, I think. If we can do that, I think I would do smoothies. If it has to be everything. If it's everything, I still think I go smoothies. Like, if it's, if the candy situation, I'm not going to be able to eat that much candy. I can eat, like, I don't know, five pieces of candy. <laughs> yeah, I can eat, like, a candy bar and then get start yeah. getting like feeling like it, it'll look nice it'll be visually appealing but i'm not going to eat any of it it's also not going to feel like thanksgiving dinner yeah it's going to make you feel terrible afterwards yeah well i mean if you're doing it right you should probably feel a little terrible after thanksgiving dinner anyway but well thanksgiving dinner is like a comforting dis- yeah uh, i don't even know how to put it <laughs> I guess even that, it's not going to taste like thanksgiving dinner and the blended one while terrifying will taste like thanksgiving dinner yeah like eating the candy is gonna like give me a headache and like a stomach ache and stuff yeah thanksgiving like the actual thanksgiving smoothie dinner will probably just put me to sleep they're both disgusting at different scale but one i'm gonna feel slightly better afterwards so i think i'm gonna go with smoothies as well i also think the smoothie just feels more thanksgiving e than the candy one this is true so i'm also gonna go smoothie i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna stick with candy still part a big part of it is that visceral reaction i had to that to that smoothie and I do still think it would be kind of sad and depressing to just have a cup like here's a smoothie and this is your Thanksgiving dinner like like I want the 
you know, the, the sit around and you have all these, all these wonderful dishes in front of you. And yes, what, I'm sure some of the candy dishes will be very upsetting as well. But I mean, you're not going to eat any of it. Though. It's just going to be you're going to sit around, have food on your plate, and then no one's going to eat. I'm going to eat candy. Yeah, but how much of it? Like the whole thing of Thanksgiving, you're supposed to eat a lot. Can you eat that much candy? I could definitely eat as much candy as my body wants. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> like, at this point. Yeah, I used to be able to, and I like candy, but I just can't eat that much. I don't know. I'm still. I'm, it's 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 a would you rather? I would rather candy. Okay. Also, I was definitely thinking of bone broth gravy is the only one I've seen made from like <laughs> scratch, scratch, which starts with bones. Um, just I was googling that while you guys were figuring. Yeah, don't your don't shit out. question Ben on food stuff. <laughs> Well, I only this was this was the only one because like my my uh, my dad literally did like a segment where he made the the gravy for the Jägerschnitzels that started with the bone broth and he started with the bones. Oh yeah, I guess your your family has a restaurant. You have food cred. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm not actually bad at cooking anymore, so I do have cooking knowledge. Anyway, that's that. If you want to show your thanks to the show on this Thanksgiving. You can send us a nice thank you card. That would be cool. But also, if you want to do something that's easier, doesn't require the mail system or remembering how to mail a letter. Or us giving our addresses. <laughs> you can go to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and click on that Become a Patron button. For just $1, you get access to all our behind-the-scenes content where we do all sorts of things like talk about how making the show, workshop new ideas. Sometimes we have guests. Sometimes we do all sorts of crazy things. So they that is a cool place to do. It is well worth your dollar. Or if you want to um, not spend money but still help the show in a, in a strong and meaningful way, leave us a review. Um, it is one of the best ways to help spread the show and help it grow. And if more people listen to it, there's a higher chance we continue making it forever and ever and ever. And that's good for everyone. That's a win-win. But in any case, feel free to join us next week where we answer the following question. What if you had Aquaman's powers? <laughs>